and online at kpfa.org. The time is 3 p.m. Stay tuned next for Jennifer Stone and Stone's Throw. Happy ending, nice and tidy. It's a rule I learned in school. Get your money every Friday. Happy endings are the rule. So divide up those in darkness from the ones who walk in light. Light them up, boys. There's your picture. Drop the shadows This is Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw. Ah, uh, April, April. It's, uh, let's see. It's the 4th of April, 2017. Oh, golly. Ah, uh, April is the cruelest month. You know, you know all that stuff. Uh, it's all about, uh, uh, last night I, I thought to myself, you know, I, I've got to stop digging into the shelf with my, uh, old poems, the stuff that my parents liked. I gotta move on from that, you know. I got bogged down in John Maysfield and, you know, will you not come home, brother, home to us again? It's April and blossom time. Ah, uh, the 19th century is over, Jennifer. Over, over, over. And this, this week, this Tuesday, I had meant to do James Baldwin. He's sitting right here in front of me. God bless him. Uh, James Baldwin is actually my age, uh, my generation, but he died in uh, 1987, so that's the past. Everything is the past now. You know, the present, uh, that doesn't exist. Anyway, I have all this stuff and I... Ah, oh, I dear, dearly love my uh, literary saint, James Baldwin. And under that pile, I have all these books, third wave feminism. That was mostly women of color. I didn't notice that. I was teaching a, a class once in the 80s, and a student said to me, she said, well, why didn't you say this, this was a, 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 a program about... Uh, uh, women of color, that this was black women writers. And I said, I, I, I didn't notice. They're just all the writers that I'm reading here in the 80s. Anyway, uh, I guess, I guess hardening of the categories is always a problem, but, uh, I, I made a list last night of all the women since Jimmy, since James Baldwin, and it's just too overwhelming. I can't deal with it. <laughs> Hillary Clinton's got another. Another book written in the wake of that last election. Can you believe it? Simon and Schuster. Uh, essays. She's written some essays. You gotta dig those out. See what Hillary has to say. <laughs> I don't know. I, I think I kind of despair. Uh, you know how that goes. Uh, 
Ah, the battle for men's minds and women's souls, you know. My, my idea this season was to keep hope alive, you know, make the world safe for satire and, you know, laughter the best way to illuminate human needs, illustrate the backward behavior of so many of the country's deplorables and, oh, what fools these mortals be, uh, actually, I don't think any of that, any of that matters. The more I look and listen, the more I see the courage and determination of all these young, young activists. Is that the word? Uh, as a, what is it? Proactive. That gives me a headache. It's redundant to say the least. You're either active or you're not proactive. Anyway, there are people as old as I am who do the work of, uh, is it the young, the people who are on the edge of consciousness? I picked up my mail here as I came into the, the uh, studio. There's a book here, uh, Vantage Books Original, called Radical Hope. Got that? It isn't published yet. It'll be out in about a month. Radical Hope. Now this is this is the cool this is the cool stuff, people. Uh, Ah, yes. Keep your eyes on the prize. Keep your eye upon the donut and not upon the hole. Vintage books. Penguin Random New York. Radical Hope. Letters of Love and Dissent in Dangerous Times. Edited by Carolina de Robertes. R-O-B-E-R-T-I-S. Now, I gotta take this home and read it through carefully and find, uh, the stuff that is, uh, what do you call that? The most hopeful. Oh, Lord, the language just isn't working anymore. I'm flipping through this book, and I see here uh, a page that says, Signs from the Women's March. Got that? It's January 21st, 2017, in Oakland. <laughs> I got I to gotta share some of these these with you. I have some uh, signs in my, my closet that I've kept from the 60s. Good God. Anyway. Uh, let's see. Here's one. We need a president who reads books. Said I can't believe I had to make this sign. Uh, fight for democracy. Fight like a girl. Uh, I don't usually make signs, but WTF, O-M-G-G-O-P, WTF. Now, I have to tell you that, uh, we're not allowed to say some of the four-letter words, so I'm just going to use F and S when those two words come up. Uh, here's another one. Uh, F your patriarchy. We are the resistance. Uh, uh, love, not hate, makes America great. Okay, ladies, now get in formation. Get in, get in formation. Hmm, together we rise, there's no planet B, big trouble in little hands. Uh, I'm a feminist, what's your superpower? <laughs> I'll grab my own. And uh, here's another sign. I'm with her, and 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 her. There's <laughs> another one. Amazon women rise. That's Reverend Nasty to you. 
Okay. Knit. Uh, Donald Duck. Right. Fight for democracy. Fight like a girl. Uh, our rights are not up for grabs and neither are we. Don't F with my flower. This pussy bites back. Hmm. Old hippies never die. They just get new knees and keep on marching. <laughs> That's an idea. I could get a new knee. Anyway. Okay. Viva la vulva. Mm-hmm. Make racists afraid again. Mm-hmm. A lot of good stuff here. Make America think again. Uh-huh. And there's a lot of, uh, well... Yes, you know, if my uterus were a corporation, would you regulate it? And so on. Uh, rage, rage against the dying of the light. Stay effing mad. Uh, oh, yes, yes, indeed. Uh, the seas are rising, but so are we. I have been to the future. And we won. Here's the last one here. I like this best. It's a Mexican proverb. They tried to bury us. They didn't know we were seeds. Seeds. S-E-E-D-S. <clears throat> Speak the speech, Jennifer, as I yes, pronounced it to you trippingly on the tongue. <laughs> I don't know what it is these days. Uh Harder and harder to articulate anything. Uh, this little book in my hand is called Radical Hope, Letters of Love and Dissent in Dangerous Times. And the uh, writers, let's see, there's about 20, 20 essays here. They will be in town in May. I'll give you those dates. They will be reading uh, hereabouts. Uh, let's see. Yes, I have a list. I'll bring that next time. Uh, I think we need these, what do we call those, uh, pep talks? <laughs> I don't know. Righteous, righteous. Uh, Carolyn Gage is my favorite. She writes books. Uh, her little collection, Like There's No Tomorrow. That's a wonderful collection of short essays to give women courage, you know. Courage, 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 boys and girls. Uh, <laughs> anyway, everybody, yes, everybody's got to get into the act. Got to get uh, wide awake, wake up, ready to learn and quick, quick, quick to act, you know. Uh, these are very strange times, best of times, worst of times. We've got access to more information than ever. Well, uh, 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 would take us a hundred lifetimes even to read it all. Uh, I think the history of our species is this accumulation of more and more, um, let's call it thought, uh, I think that, well, anyway, we've got these world brains and knowledge is, of course, the big step. And then many citizens, <laughs> they reach for the facts, you know, and then they try to work out the ways the facts will help us. Uh, what's for us, what's against us. There's a smaller group of people, they 
put in enough time to throttle the human condition, shake it up, whip it up, you know, till it turns to wisdom. <clears throat> Truth and beauty still dating, are they? Sweetness and light still possible for children? You know, the sort of thing. Children who have the love of at least one adult, they seem to be able to shift, shift things uh Lately, I've noticed a trend for humans to reach out to the other animals. Ah, it's a wonderful essay. I'm going to bring it down here. Uh, Mark Twain's Diary of Adam and Eve. Eve is so much happier before the fall when she's out there riding the animals in uh, nature. Anyway, it's very popular suddenly to uh, love the other sentient beings, the non-human beings. Uh, it's politically correct to empathize with the creatures. Uh, this problem of suffering, you know, it's never been exclusive to human beings, but it seems that our emotional intelligence is expanding. I heard this morning as I left the house, uh, there was a report of six steers somewhere. They broke out of the uh, holding pens in the slaughterhouse, six of them, and they ran away. It took forever to catch these guys, you know. And they've decided not to slaughter them, but to give them a sanctuary. How about that? <laughs> six, six cows made it, got out of their uh, uh, stockyard prison anyway. Uh, all of the creatures, the sentient beings that we meet, they can play, they can dance, sing, and feel pain. Who knew? I knew. Anyway, most children understand all this. Uh, what turns them off is something very curious in our species. They become socialized. Yes, Virginia Woolf said that Oh, that toxic poison begins in the home, in the nursery, fascism in the crib. Uh, I've watched people do that to their little children. Anyway, this season, it's uh, fascist nine, feminist seven. I keep score, you know. I think that's progress. My uh, new rule, my mantra... Uh, is my firm belief, always, that aesthetics is the mother of ethics. That's the way the artists, the poets, the writers, they've got to portray love. Literature, as you know, is the history of love. Uh, <laughs> anyway, I got a big kick out of Fran Lebowitz this, uh, I think it was February. I got a quote from Fran Lebowitz that I have put into... Uh, Calligraphy. It's over my typewriter there. Okay. Fran Lebowitz says, It is not possible for the culture to make up for the society. I'm going to repeat that. Good old Fran Lebowitz. It's not possible for the culture to make up for the society. Gotcha, Fran. Gotcha. But we got to try. That's what we're here for, culture vultures, you know. Uh, got to try, you know. 
And, of course, we have to let all the idiots speak and express themselves uh, so they figure out that they're deplorable, you know, if they listen to themselves for just a moment. I think that would be my uh, cruel punishment. I would sit Donald Trump down in a room. Uh, well, you remember they did this in Clockwork Orange. Make him watch himself, listen to himself uh, for years, years. Uh, never mind. Never mind all that. I, I've used up half my time, and I, I still want to do, uh, let's see, third wave feminism, James Baldwin. I give up. I give up. What I'm going to do is talk to you about something I love, and I'm doing that because it's still on cable TV. It's a feature film about the Brontes. The uh, 19th century geniuses. Uh, it says here the 8th of April is the end of the run. Uh, it's a PBS, PBS network. You can, if you have on demand, you just punch up a network and then you go to the PBS network and then you go down there to specials and it's a movie called To Walk invisible there's a whole bunch of essays uh, titled to walk invisible about the brontes maybe it's a distillation of those from years ago uh it is of course about those three sisters and their brother branwell and their irish father patrick uh ah uh, patrick is the key as a clergyman patrick bronte believed in christian morality right the kind of code that ruled the society, the church in the 19th century. However, he carried a little gun with him everywhere. Uh, a visitor said, we sit down to breakfast every morning with his little gun. Now, uh, the famous daughters, the three daughters, uh, they had serious reservations about, what, religion? The nature of divinity, I think of them as, uh, what, not agnostics. Emily Bronte was basically a pagan at heart. Uh, she didn't buy the, well, she didn't drink the Kool-Aid anyway. Uh, they did have to put in a few uh, hours. Their father was, of course, giving sermons. Uh, here's Emily Bronte in 1846. No coward soul is mine. It's a long poem. Let me give you four lines. <sighs> Vain are the thousand creeds that move men's hearts. Unutterably vain. Worthless as withered weeds or idlest froth amid the boundless Maine. Uh, way back in 1974, I was getting a, a master's and uh, I was supposed to pick three major authors. I, I wanted to do Emily Bronte as a poet. And of course, I was told that was nonsense because, uh, you know, she, she only wrote uh, the, well, the poems are published separately, but... Uh, they said that not just her prose and poetry, but the 
works of both sisters Anne Bronte and Charlotte Bronte would be included. That whole whole cluster of work would be one, add up to one writer. <laughs> 1974, folks, let's see. Actually, I wound up doing Gertrude Stein, who was born in 1874, and that's not much different. Anyway, uh, this feature film, To Walk Invisible, can be found if you push on demand and then push TV shows and then network and then PBS and then specials, and you can find it uh it's called, yes, To Walk Invisible, the Bronte Sisters. Now, they mention only the three published uh, writers. The uh, first two children, uh, Mariah and uh, Elizabeth, died, uh, I think, 11 and 12 years old. And the brother Branwell that I don't like to say self-destructed, but he he seems to have been burdened with the expectations of his whole family, his father most of all, but the sisters as well. Uh, they they tried not to uh, not to compete with him, not to show him how talented that they were, uh, because of course he tried to compete anyway. Uh, he dies, and in this feature film, we see a lot of the violence, the young man. Uh, in that time, there's an essay by Charlotte in which she says the education of uh, young men is uh, more dangerous than the education for women. They didn't get any, but the young men, she said, uh, they are given too much freedom or license, you know, uh, as far as I can figure out from the biographies uh, Branwell was not just an alcoholic but he uh, was uh, well he found some opium and anyway uh, there's some wonderful scenes when he's sent home he's a tutor in a family and he has an affair with the lady of the house and one of his sisters Anne is there with him and uh, <laughs> it's, it's a kind of drama uh, actually, the husband in that home eventually died, and the woman, Mrs. Green, went and married somebody else. Then Branwell really cracked. Uh, anyway, I have two or three essays on the Brontes that I'm going to save for you. I just want to tell you about this feature film because it's going to end so soon. Uh, there's an old movie called Devotion that I've never recommended, but I I was thinking about it. The um, the, f the feature film, uh, Masterpiece Theater, it is, uh, uh, that I, I liked it, well, uh, the verisimilitude is incredible. The research they did for this uh, To Walk Invisible it is fantastic. Uh, Hollywood messed it up years ago in the 40s. Had a movie called Devotion. Ida Lupino as Emily and uh, Olivia de Havilland as uh, Charlotte Bronte. Paul Henry played the curate, the father's curate. Uh, actually, that was... Arthur Bell Nichols, who eventually did marry Charlotte Bronte. Uh, in the movie, they have Emily and Charlotte competing for his love. 
Now, that's a travesty, but what I liked about the movie Devotion in the 40s was that they did, they did, uh, uh, stick in, well, they, they just touched it up a little bit with scenes of a, a demonic lover, a Byronic figure, uh, you know, the one on the black horse. And of course, that is, Death and the shadow of death haunts Emily Bronte, who in life did die at the age of 29, uh, tuberculosis. Uh, it's an incredible uh, death scene. I, If I were going to do a play or book or movie about the uh, Brontes, I would start with, well, there's a description... Uh, so many things. I would start with her, Emily's description of the world as a place of murderous, devouring every form of life, yes. Uh, I think the cap, the center or the climax of the film, I guess, would be her death, her heroic death. She... Uh, See, here's what Charlotte writes. Uh, this is in the preface of the 1850 edition of Emily's Wuthering Heights. Charlotte writes, Never in all her life has she lingered over any task that lay before her. She did not linger now. She sank rapidly as she made haste to leave us. I have seen nothing like it, but indeed, I have never seen her parallel in anything. Stronger than a man, simpler than a child, her nature stood alone. Uh, and uh, Charlotte goes on to describe this. I don't think heroic is the word, and certainly wasn't a saint, but uh, some people said she was simply schizophrenic, Emily. But her power, her psychic power, I... I wasn't sure in this film, the opening scenes, we see uh, four, the four children, Branwell and the three girls as children, writing their first early stories. And the filmmaker put fires, literally fire coming out of their heads. Now, I, I don't know. It seemed to work. It seemed to work. Uh, how else are we going to get our... Uh, our uh, what is it? Our feelings... Illustrated, uh, <clears throat> I know, uh, Charlotte, yes, she did, she did the, the pragmatic, real things. She got them published. She wrote, one day in the autumn of 1845, I accidentally lighted on a manuscript, uh, a volume of verse in my sister Emily's handwriting. Of course, I was not surprised knowing that she could and did write verse. I looked it over and something more than surprise seized me, a deep conviction that these were not common effusions, not at all like the poetry women generally write. I thought them condensed and terse, vigorous and genuine. To my ear, they had also a peculiar music wild, melancholy, and elevating. Charlotte should have been a critic. She didn't have time, actually. Charlotte lived a little longer till 
39 when she died. A pregnancy did her in. <laughs> anyway. Uh, so many things I have. I'm just getting overwhelmed lately. I think it's because of the trumpery. Uh, I will try to do a little bit more on the Brontes. Uh, I want to recommend to you a story in the New Yorker by Jane Mayer. She's been on the radio a lot lately called Trump's Money Man. That's about as much reality as any human being can stand. Scared me to death. This has been Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throat. Be back on the air this same time next Tuesday. Till then, go easy. And if you can't go easy, go as easy as you can. Born in Egypt... Omar El-Ahad is a young journalist who's already covered the war in Afghanistan, the trials at Guantanamo, the Arab Spring Revolution, and the Black Lives Matter movement. He's also written an astonishing original novel, American War, easily read as a searing indictment of America's wars in the Middle East, or as a second civil war right here in America. Omar El-Ahad will be at St. John's Presbyterian Church, 2727 College Avenue in Berkeley. April 19th, a Wednesday at 7.30 p.m. KPFA's Greg Bridges will host this KPFA benefit. There's wheelchair access. Tickets at brownpapertickets.com and the best indie bookstores. April 19th, American War.